The prophet Malachi told of the coming of the Messiah arriving like a blazing sun of burning heat judging the wicked, and then in the same image he is revealed as a benefiting and healing sun for those who have faith and long for his return. The question is, in what way will Jesus meet you? Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work around the world and in our community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We are considering the antiphone or short hymn of the early church that cried out to the Savior as a dayspring or rising sun. That sun first began to dawn when the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem and when he walked in Galilee. That is what we will be considering today. But he's coming again in a blaze of fiery judgment. And my advice is that you honestly meet him as he first came, so that you might be prepared to meet him when he comes again. Zacharias sings over his son John the Baptist that has been miraculously born to him in his old age. And he sings over that time in which he's dedicated. And in the first part of Zacharias' song in Luke chapter 1 is an expression of the joy that God has come to answer promises that he's given to the people of Israel and to the nation and that God has faithfully fulfilled those promises. And there is, to some extent at that time, a rejoicing in a political salvation that they've realized. But then it's as though Zacharias looks down at the baby John in his arms, and he speaks to the child in the midst of his song. You will be called the prophet of the highest, and you will bring forth the message preparing his way. And after he says that, he continues in his song, but now his song extolling the salvation that this Messiah will bring is an extolling and a proclamation of a salvation that's not political. It's not a national salvation. It's personal and it's spiritual and it's deep and it's profound and it's a salvation that calls for individuals to repent and it's a salvation that calls them to reach out to the promise of forgiveness and mercy that's found and God offers to them. A mercy coming, as he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 78, this way. Listen to it. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which a day spring, the dawning sun is what the word means in Greek, in which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. These passages clearly speak of the first advent of our Lord between the time in which he was born in Bethlehem and crucified in Jerusalem. And this was the time of the dawning light. This is not the sun in the full blaze of its righteousness that we read about in Malachi chapter 4. This is the sun beginning to rise in dawn and it arises upon history. And Christ come to us in human flesh to begin to unveil slowly and beautifully and wonderfully just as the sun rises and at first it reddens the edge of the horizon line and then it rises with a grayness in which everything that's been dark around you becomes more and more into view and you see more and more and it's as if a flood of light slowly begins to come into the world and your eyes adjust to it and as it adjusts you see something beautiful and then something more beautiful and something more beautiful and promises become more and more clear and when the Lord Jesus came in human flesh, he began to make known to us the 
character of God. He didn't come so much to overwhelm us with what we call the official glory of God, the blaze of the mighty, holy expressions of an all-powerful God, but instead he came to reveal to us the moral glory of God. The official glory of God, we might say, was veiled off from our view, but his moral glory was on full display in human form. Every command that God ever gave to man was a command that was resonant in himself. It was God's command for us to respond to him for who he is. It is a response to what is absolutely true of God. God is absolutely true, God tells us not to lie. God is the giver of life, God tells us not to kill. God is the essence of all that is beautiful and good and all that should be worshipped and God says we're to worship him alone. The Lord Jesus comes fulfilling and keeping all of these commands not because he is under the law but because he's expressing the heart and the inspiration of the law. He's revealing God to us. God in his moral glory. God in his moral goodness. And so he comes and his impact upon life is that he brings this healthy fit purity of morality glorious morality that comes from god alone it's rooted in god alone every miracle listen to this i think this is a rather wonderful thought and something that should be meditated on every miracle of christ every miracle that he performed was a demonstration of the power of his moral glory his ability to address sin and with it to address the consequences of sin to address the death and decay that sin brought about and Jesus put on display the moral glory he had to repel and drive back the darkness and the disease that sin brings in people's lives. You'll recall that when the Lord Jesus was teaching in his own hometown, in his own home that he lived in, the home was filled up in Capernaum with so many people that no one could come into the door and Mark tells us at that time that there was a paralytic and his friends brought the paralytic to him and they climbed in the roof and they pulled back the tiles of the roof and they lowered this man down into his presence. The Bible says the Lord Jesus saw their faith and the faith of the man that was brought before them and the Lord Jesus said, now this is an issue dealing with sin. He said, your sins are forgiven you. The Pharisees watched this and they probably thought to themselves, what a con. What, what a thing to say. How can this man offer forgiveness for an individual that's a stranger to him someone who's not wronged him in any way he doesn't know what this man has done he doesn't know what's caused him to be paralyzed his whole life how God has judged him and God has punished him and who alone can forgive such a man and such sin but God alone and the Lord Jesus we're told knew what they were thinking and knew what they were murmuring to themselves and he responded to them you find it in Mark chapter 2 verses 9 through 12 I said Mark 1 I meant Mark 2 Jesus, we're told, turned to them and said this, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. I want you to know, it's harder to say your sins are forgiven you. They were right, by the way. Only God has the power to forgive sins like that. Only God has power to forgive the sins that are committed against God alone, not any individual not possible for you to go to some person who's committed some terrible atrocity and provide him forgiveness for all that he's done. That belongs to God alone or any sin on that sake. You can forgive them for the offense they've caused you. You can release them from the debt they owe to you. But there's something greater than the debt they owe to you. It's the debt they owe to God. This belongs to God alone. They were right. You can't say your sins are forgiven you. Jesus goes on and says, 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose and took up his bed and went in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Jesus rises before them, giving them a developing clarity of the grace and mercy of God extended in his moral power. What they were seeing is the impact that comes to a fallen world when sin is revoked by the absolute moral purity of Jesus Christ. The Jews had been taught that sin was a deviling thing. Sin brought upon individuals disease, and sin brought upon individuals death. And so, therefore, when you met a person who was diseased, you didn't touch him. When you came upon a dead body, you didn't touch it because it would defile you. And if you had to, for whatever reason, or came in contact with a person who was ailing or sick, who had an issue of blood, then you would have to go through a, a series of cleansings, sacramental cleansings, and you would have to offer up certain types of offerings in order to cleanse yourself because sin was a defiling thing. It brought its decay and it encroached upon all of our lives. The Lord Jesus comes to the scene in that setting with that understanding, and the Lord Jesus lays his hand upon the dead body, but he's not defiled. The dead body rises to life. And he lays his hand upon the leprous man that everybody else had to flee from and stay clear of. And he was not defiled. And the leper was made clean. And he walks through the crowd and the woman with the issue of blood reaches out to touch the hem of his garment. And he's not defiled. She shouldn't have been there. It wasn't according to the protocols. She was a person who would defile others. She laid her hand on his garment. He was not defiled. She was made whole. It's the power, the moral power, the moral glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. Every miracle that he performed. We meet him as a man ready to begin his assigned work. And he blesses a wedding couple and honors his mother and turns water into wine. And he's bringing the wine of the gospel to us. He releases the possessed. He heals the fevered and dying. He fills the net with fish. He cleanses the leper. He restores the paralyzed and the deformed. He raises the dead and calms the sea and restores the defiled and gives sight to the blind and speech to the dumb and multiplies food for the hungry and walks in the storm to the distressed. His miracles attest to the healing power that is in the dawning of the Son of Righteousness. It speaks of what he offers to those who come to faith in him. He offers to us out of his moral glory, faith, and in response to our faith, grace and a life of celebration and wholeness and cleansing and restoration and peace and purity and vision, a voice to praise, a fulfillment of our deepest longings, rescue from our dread and danger. It's a reversal of the curse found in the moral glory of Jesus Christ. Christ brings an expression of this moral glory into all those who are around him when he comes in his first advent. And what he's revealing is what shall be ours at the full expression of that official glory when the Son of Righteousness will rise up with healing in his wings. And at that time, heaven will enfold us with the final expressions of his miraculous work. That miraculous work will be sustained and unremitting throughout all eternity. We'll be bound up in him We'll be rescued from the last vestige of sin. We'll be perfectly, perfectly whole. That's what's for us, and that's what's being real. And that's what's dawning. That's what's beginning to be expressed in the first advent. I've said that the miracles of Christ 
or a testament to his moral glory. But it's his moral glory alone that is the most impressive part of his life. Even today, when individuals fixate on the life of Jesus Christ, they're not fixating it because they're recounting all the miracles he performed. It's not the miracles that Christ performed ultimately that have gained an enduring attention to his person throughout the history of our world today for the last 2,000 years. It's not as though mankind has found themselves being pulled back to the life of Jesus because he healed a blind man or because he gave a lame the ability to walk. The reason they're drawn to him is because of the explanation for that healing power. And the explanation for that healing power is his moral perfection. It's his complete and wonderful and moral glory. He was sinless in every way. And it's the holiness of Jesus Christ in his life that was his loveliness. And it is his attractiveness as well. It's it what caused children to be drawn to crawl upon his knee and women in distress to come before him and to entrust him with their tears and men in their bewilderment and their question to come in silence and bow before him and plead with him to give him faith and sought him for answers to their haunting questions. It was his sinless moral glory that drew their attention. Today, it is still the magnetic pull of his life upon people. He represents what they could be, what they should be, what they would be if they would believe in him. The rising son of the Savior, when he came to the earth, was to reveal to us more fully the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his will, and the knowledge of his way of salvation. It is to this gracious coming and light that you are invited to come for life and clarity. He's coming again to judge and bring to ashes all those who have ignored the purpose of his first coming. So heed the dawn. The gentle light can be yours today if you'll face the rising sun. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.